Blog Talk Radio. This is Kale Brown. Now, I didn't play a doctor on TV, but I will prescribe Brandon's buzz for absolutely anybody who wants to know what's really going on. Hey, guys, this is Brett Claywell from One Life to Live, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. This is Taylor Dane, and you are listening to the one and only Brandon Buzz. Hi, this is Lynn Herring on Brandon's Buzz. It's the great entertainment talk show on now. Brandon, I love you. Thanks for having me. This is Linda Dano. I'm on Brandon's Buzz, and I have to tell you, what a fun hour I just had. Ah. This is a great kid with a wonderful heart and soul. You listen every day. I know I will. Hey, hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you are checking out Brandon's Buzz right now. Hi, everyone. This is Eric Martin from the band Mr. Big. I'm live and kicking on Brandon's Buzz. Hi, this is Dave Primero, and you're going to love buzzing with Brandon's Buzz. Hey guys, welcome back to Brandon's Buzz. I am Brandon. It's Tuesday, April 13th, 2010. It's 10 p.m. in the east, 7 p.m. out west, 9 p.m. here in Texas, and I have a terrific lady on the phone tonight. We're just going to dive right in here. You know, my amazing guest tonight has well over 100 credits to her name across an Emmy-winning career that has spanned some six decades, and you almost can't name a hit television series from The Andy Griffith Show to The Jeffersons to Perry Mason and Archie Bunker's place to L.A. Law, Cagney and Lacey, on which she hasn't appeared. Of course, she's probably best known for her stunning, superlative work as steely matriarch Caroline Brady on the classic soap Days of Our Lives, and she's come by the buzz this evening to recall and remember a life literally lived before the camera. You know, this is one of the finest ladies in the entire business, and it's such a thrill to bring to Brandon's buzz tonight the fabulous, phenomenal Peggy McKay. My, what a lovely introduction, Brendan. Thank you. How are you doing, my darling? I'm great. I enjoy every day even more at work or off. I, I'm, I'm, you know, privileged to work with a great group at Days of Our Lives. We love each other, and uh, we've been renewed uh, for another year, and we're going like gangbusters. <laughs> I, I throw it back to you, don't I? <laughs> well, I tell you what. Let's let's uh, kind of backtrack here and start at the beginning. Give me the sixty second bio on Peggy McKay. Where were you born? Where were you raised? Oh. Where'd you go to school? Let's let's set okay. the Okay. Well, I was born in Manhattan, New York City, in Washington Heights, and I think that really has an effect on your life. It's a great city, but there are things that only New York kids learn. One of them was, when I was five years old, my father bought me a beautiful red flyer, a flexible sled, in a city where there's no place <laughs> hardly ever to use it, but it was great. So here I am in my little, you know, bundled up ear flaps, you know, mittens, I mean, <laughs> waddling around in the courtyard while my mother kept eye on me, just pulling it up and down the yard. And a, a teenage boy comes up and says, can I borrow your sled? I say, sure. So he takes the sled, and he starts walking away with it, and he keeps on walking, and he disappears around the corner. Oh, my. So my mother saw that from the window because she was watching me. She said, Peggy, it's nice to share your things with friends, never with strangers. <laughs> so I woke up fast in that yeah. city because yeah. that's the way it is. 
But it's a great city, and I played on the sidewalk like we all did. And I went to uh, Holy Child Academy. And then when I graduated from there, I went to Barnard College of Columbia University, which I loved. And it was a great, we, we had a great drama club. And I even created a revolution in the drama club because we never had men playing men's parts. So I had to play a man once. It was horrible. <laughs> so I decided we better not do that anymore. It was stupid. You know, the, the army was taller than I was, you know. So I thought this wasn't really very professional. Anyway, on from there, I'm very fortunate because my parents were not too thrilled about the fact that I was very good at acting and might indeed become an actress. Absolutely. I, th I think that's the story with most people who go into your profession. Correct. So they made me promise that if I didn't get a job in two years, I would give it up. And I took that promise. And to my astonishment, you know, I had, uh, I bought variety and, and all those things while I was still in college. And, you know, actually, not kidding you, it was easier to translate Chaucer than it was flicks, picks, flacks, and all these oddball words uh -huh. in these trades. But I did it. And so, and I got, I went to the union, I got a, I wanted to join. They said, you can't join till you got a job. You know, I go, oh, I didn't know that. So then they gave me a list. And then as soon as I got out, I started to make the rounds, which you could do in New York. I made 10 offices a day in terrible heat. And one agent looked at me and just said, I don't understand. You're so enthusiastic. I tell you what, you'll never get this part, but go there and read. So I did, and I came into Walter J. Walter Thompson, huge advertising, you know, long desk. Uh -huh. All these actors and myself picked up our script, and then we read, and the director said, thank you all for coming. Please, you go. You please stay. He looked at me and said, you stay, and you stay, you stay. And I, I realized I had gotten the job. I ran downstairs, called the agent. She said, what? Oh, my God, I'll have to be your agent. <laughs> she was not thrilled. But it kind of answered the promise that I'd made my parents. And I don't know. I just worked immediately. And every show seemed to lead to another show. Isn't that funny? And it was wonderful. And that was a great time. Oh, also, it was the crazy time. Well, sure. Of live TV. Absolutely. Nobody knows how nutty that was, but you know, I do. I mean, talk to, talk to me about the days of live television. You know, I've heard other actors of your generation, like Phil Carey, say yes. perhaps Phil jokingly Kitty. that, oh, yeah? yes, that you know, the only thing live television ever did was create a bunch of alcoholics. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> well, you had to be fast. That's one. You did rehearse two weeks, which was good. Okay. Second thing, once it went on the air, whatever happened went out there. Yep, you bet. There was no stopping it. <laughs> so, you know, corpses who thought they were off camera would get up and walk. <laughs> and the audience loved it. I mean, the audience did like all the goofs and everything. That was exciting to them because they knew it was live, like a basketball game. So some of the funniest stuff that I was involved in, I was on a show called Love of Life. I was, they had a, I had a long contract, but I didn't want to stay. But there was a day when we had a radio actor who was big radio. I'd never done much television. So he was on the show, good actor. And he's in a what we call a solo scene or a, a limbo, just by himself with a telephone conversation. Okay. Well, he was a radio actor. He did not pick up the phone. 
So we're standing there looking at a guy talking into the air. And it's terrible. And there's nothing to do about it. And we started laughing. And I thought it was terribly funny until the stage manager said, you're on. Now, on that show, there were no walls. They had a big gray cyclorama curtain that curved. And to give the illusion of a wall, they had a, you know, chair rail, wooden chair rail, and then on wires, they hung paintings. So when you looked at it, it looked like a wall. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the terrible thing is the guy who made the mistake was so nervous he started walking up and down behind the paintings, destroying totally the illusion of a wall. Wow. And for myself, since I was late on my entrance, and knew that you could have seen me uh, trying to get to the door uh-huh. because there was no wall. I had to crawl on my hands and knees, straighten myself out, stand there to open the door. There was no way around. That's, you know, and you would change your outfit while running to the next set. And the people would be throwing clothes off and on, and, and you just got in front of the door and took a deep breath and acted as if it, you just arrived. <laughs> and that, that what you had to be on your toes, I'm wow. telling you. And there was lots of funny stuff that happened, you know. You had to be fast, and you had to keep your breath going all right. And that was never to be forgotten those days, never. What did it mean to be a working actor back in those days? And, you know, when I, when I say that, it sounds like I'm talking about the Middle Ages. But, you know, these days you can, oh. you can upload a video of yourself to YouTube and call yourself a working actor. So, yes, you know, I'm just wondering what it, what it meant when you were coming up in the late 40s, early 50s to be a working actor. Well, it was wonderful because there was plenty of work for the first time for actors. New York actors, who I believe are pretty good, you know, because they have theater and they care in a, in a special way. I just, we we would all meet, you know, in a coffee shop, Cromwell's Drugstore at NBC, and share news. And, and it was like a renaissance for actors, live television. And sure, the crazy new thing was called booming in New York. And people were working everywhere. And it was it was a great time. And we had wonderful writers. I, I was with oh, the great actor who did Psycho, Tony. You know, you know, forgive me, I'm older, and this happens to me all the time. You're talking about Anthony Perkins. Anthony Perkins' first show, and he was great, and it was just a time of lots of good writers, like that was Patty Shayevsky and Rod Serling. He, uh, it has been called the Golden Age, and in many ways it's true, because the writers were wonderful, and the actors were wonderful. Sure. I, I can imagine that everybody was so excited and so emboldened by the, you know, the audacious new medium that had been, that had been created out of, you know, out of whole cloth. I know. It's true. It was very exciting. And that's always great. It's just, I've had a wonderful time. What can I tell you? I, I love to work. And fortunately, I do. And I've done a, so many shows. It's been wonderful. Gunsmoke, Gonanza. Sure. Sure is great to have a long-running series. Absolutely. You got it, mate. You know what a wonderful actor said to me when I first got on the plane? Jack Ward, who ran forever in Hawaii 5 uh-huh. He happened to be seat. We decided to sit together, and he said to me, isn't it amazing? They pay us to play cowboys and Indians. <laughs> I thought we swapped what he said. I said, that's so great. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And cops and robbers and the whole bit. I mean, all of that. You know, and that's a very 
really meaningful remark in many ways at the bottom of the soul of an actor. There's that kind of thing going, God, they're paying to do this. You know, you have, you have worked with and crossed paths with some truly remarkable people over oh, the course yes. of your career. And yes. I just want to, I want to toss out some names and just get your reaction. Yes. How about Andy Griffith? Oh, a sweetheart. And, and that show, I only did one Andy Griffith show. That show has sold more DVDs. People have at, I'm still getting fan mail on that Andy Griffith show. It was wow. very beautifully written. It was a romance. And Andy Griffith, we were supposed to fall in love again. I was his high school sweetheart. So it came for a kissing scene, and Andy said to me, Do you think we really have to kiss? So I said, Andy, we must. <laughs> he was so sweet. I said, no, we got to do that. <laughs> he was a very shy guy, and he was wonderful. He played banjo in between takes. It was great. Yeah. You know, that show has that show has never left the air since, I mean, since it premiered. Yeah, and a man, I went to raise some money for elephants in Tennessee, and a man booked bed and breakfast so he could finish his collection on Andy Griffith and get my signature. He came all the way there wow. to do it. That's the Andy Griffith bunch. They are something. And, it, you know, it's amazing because that, that was just a, a, a completely simple show. I mean, there was nothing complex about it. You know, Andy Griffith was a great actor. He really wanted to do other things, but he was so successful mm -hmm. at being Andy that he did a, a, a movie with Kazan, Face in the Crowd, in which he played this reprehensible guy and was brilliant. Did you ever see it? No, I didn't. It's directed by Elia Kazan, and okay. Andy Griffith is great in it. Great. You hate, his, you hate him. He was brilliant in it. So he was, you know... He, he just did what he did so well, you know. Wonderful person, too. And the most remarkable person I ever worked with, in my opinion, was Helen Hayes. Now, that's a name way from the past. At that time, she was the first lady of Broadway. Okay. And she was, Daniel Petrie was a very fine director. We did The Cherry Orchard by Chekhov as a movie for television live. And Miss Hayes, was not satisfied with her performance, so she decided to tour this group, and I was chosen to go with her, and we toured, and she was coming to the airport. I want you to know about this about her. She was coming to the airport, and I said, oh, Miss Hayes, you're not going with the rest of the cast. We have special flying arrangements for you. She said, what do you mean? She said, well, you're first class. She said, I am a member of this cast. I fly with them. They were horrified because the flight took something like 20 hours. We were off and on playing four times. We land in Phoenix, Arizona, two in the morning. And somebody sticks a microphone in front of her face and says, what do you think the five points of a star are, Miss Hayes? And she says, endurance. <laughs> and then she said, please, would you open the kitchen and feed these actors? We haven't had anything to eat for 20 hours. And they said, we can't do that. She said, if you can't open the kitchen for these actors, then I cannot open your play. And they stood there. And they said, we'll open the kitchen. <laughs> Absolutely. I could get gooseflesh even now when I think of how she was. And uh, how old were you at that time, if I may ask? I think I was about 19. Oh, that, that must have left a huge impression on you. I just thought she was 
great. <laughs> and she was. How about the great Michael Landon? Oh, he is. I did Highway to Heaven, and uh, we filmed in Sonoma. And he, he I did my first scene, and he said to me, now, is that satisfactory to you? Do you want to do it again? Now, no one in all the shows I've ever done ever asked me that. I said, well, I think it went well. He said, so do I. So, all right, we'll go on. He, at the end of working with him, he stayed at the same motel we all stayed at. I know about him from limo drivers. He would always give a wad of money and say, give this to some children at this orphanage. And he was a a generous, talented, handsome, (laughs) funny, awfully funny guy. And I finally said in the end, it was called, the, the episode was called One Winged Angel. And I said, you know, I, I thought you were acting. I said that you, you are an angel. <laughs> and he was. He was one of the loveliest people I've ever worked with, ever. You know, I, I, I think this whole country misses him terribly still. I mean, I remember, yes. you know, Little House on the Prairie when I was a kid and, and Highway to Heaven and, and even watching old Bonanza reruns. I mean, it's... You know, he was—he truly was an American institution. He was, and generous, kind, sweet, funny, funny, funny—just a great guy, a great actor, very talented. To go from being an actor to directing to producing. When I was on uh, Bonanza, he was sitting next to the DP, learning—you know—learning about how to shoot things. And sure enough, off he went and produced his own shows, which was hugely successful. And very good shows. You know, it, it's so funny because he had his finger on, on exactly the pulse of, of what America wanted to see for, you know, decades. I mean, he, he just somehow intrinsically knew what people would go for. That's true. He did. He had a very difficult life. He was an orphan. And uh, I think that is what helped him be so outgoing and uh, helpful to people in trouble, because he always was. And he wrote about it, because it was part of his life, you know. He is certainly an example of someone who starts out with a terribly hard beginning and turns it into gold or turns it into good things, you know. That's him. Privileged to know him. Privileged to work with him. How about Carol O'Connor? Oh, Carol O'Connor and I were in a Warner Brothers movie called Lad a Dog, where Carol played the bad man. And we were in a movie where the star was a dog. I'll just tell you about And then I worked with him on Archie Bunker. And sure. I became friends, actually, with he and his wife. We were very fond of each other. But this movie, well, I'll just give you an example of the first day. You know, when you arrive in a, on a set location, you come out in the cars. They used to provide cars to drive to the location. And, you know, black Cadillacs, blah, blah, blah. And we're all waiting around. And everybody's there, as far as I know. And, and I wonder what the heck we're waiting for. And up comes an air-conditioned, white, uh, col- uh, uh, you know, El Dorado. And I'm saying, what the hell? The collie gets out. Next to it is a beat-up station wagon with the window rolled down, and the sand-in dog jumps out on his own. <laughs> I swear to you that is the truth. 
I could not believe it. The star got a blanket. The stand-in slept on the ground. The star got a sausage. The stand-in got a biscuit. No oh my. I'm sitting here. This is Hollywood in, in, in canine. <laughs> and we, the actors, they didn't ask me, do I like dogs? I said, I love dogs. No, no, no. We said, do dogs like you? <laughs> I said, well, I, I, I think so. I, all my dogs like me. <laughs> Four o'clock. They would call for makeup for all the actors. They would put sausage around your ankles, on your wrists, and on your face because the dogs were bored. <laughs> and so we had to keep their interest by wearing sausages. <laughs> I'm not making this up, you know. To keep their attention. Yes, that's right, because they got tired, you know. They've been working all day. And we came to a scene where I was a fire in a barn, and I stupidly did it without a stunt person that I didn't know any better. And they had the star dog that was written that he came in and pulled on my sleeve. Well, the star dog would know would not go in there, and they put a wire on him and everything. He would. <laughs> so they got the stand-in dog, and the stand-in dog came in and acted everything he was supposed to do. <laughs> I I ended up saying a, a picture like this shouldn't happen to a person. <laughs> I did. I you know. I'm not bitter. It was wonderful, but it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. You know, I had a moment where I had to direct the star. They did all his work first, as they should, and then it was my turn. And the director, for some unknown reason, thought he was going to be single on me, just saying, "Lad, move to post two. It was a big contest between Cheryl, uh, Carol O'Connor's dog, champion dog, and ours. Uh, Lad, the great dog. And he got down on all fours to play the dog. I said, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was just really strange. It was, but it was, it, was, it was a lovely movie. It turned out to be a really nice movie and pretty popular. <laughs> but it was an experience. How about one of my favorite people on the on the planet? You know, you've crossed paths with with a great lady by the name of Sharon Glass several times. Tell oh, me about working with her. Oh, I won my Emmy was working with you. You absolutely did. Oh yes, I love Sharon Glass. She's so modest about her talent. She is so talented, and she's beautiful beyond words, and and so good to work with. She's there for you. She's right there, and it was every scene I had was with her in that show. And that has a lot to do with it going well. And for those who don't remember, you're talking about a a show that Sharon did after Cagney and Lacey called The Trials of Rosie O'Neill. The Trials of Rosie O'Neill. And she was wonderful. And it's just one of those things that didn't go on, you know. You know, you mentioned winning the Emmy for that performance. What What did winning that award mean to you at that time, especially at that stage that you were at in your career? Well, it was a great honor. I was thrilled until I found out that the guest performers don't go to the telecast. They don't join the dinner. They have to sit home and watch the show, and nobody knows they won an award. I was so upset, I put the thing in the closet. Then I thought about it, and I said, this can't go on. And I ran for governor and succeeded and became a governor at the academy for the purpose of changing that. It was a bitter, terrible fight, but it's done. And some of them came to me, which I loved, and said, thank you. Nobody would ever know otherwise. I think wow. you, can't, you know, it's like Mothers Against 
drunk driving. Sure. That woman's tragedy she turned into, not that's a tragedy for me, but I mean, you know, she turned it into helping others. Absolutely. And I, I think that's the best thing to do when something, you know, it was, I was furious. <laughs> ah, what good is this? <laughs> anyway, it just happened to be one of those, you know, strange no, I, you know, I can only imagine because it is it is such a great, great honor, and you want to share it with your peers in that it's way. Important to an actor's career, sure. To know, uh, you know, they had instead they had casting directors, which deserve awards, but the visibility is so important to an actor, you know. So anyway, I'm glad it's changed. You know? <laughs> Well, I think it's I think it's fair to say that your most recognizable role, and certainly your longest-lasting one, has been that of of lion-hearted mother Caroline Brady on Days of Our Lives. <laughs> you're 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 pretty well known for being a journeyman actor, and and actors have a natural bit of gypsy in them by definition and by necessity anyway. True. How has how has it been for you settling into the same role, the same sets, the same cast of people essentially for the past 25 years? Well, the people wonderful, the role not so wonderful. I mean, when the role becomes serving coffee for years that's difficult for me sure. but it's a wonderful job it's a wonderful place to work and it's always a blessing to work but sometimes that's difficult it's difficult whenever the story line changes for some actors and then they just don't have that much to do mm-hmm. but right now we have a wonderful new set of writers and they are making use of everybody in the show Absolutely. and our you know, ratings are up so I think maybe that's going to continue, you know. It's it's really great to see how the focus has swung back around to, you know, using some of the veterans. You know, Louise Sorrell has come back. You know, some yes, of the, I love her. I mean, there, there's a, there's a good mix of of older and younger people in the story again. That's really wonderful. I'm happy, and so are those who were brought brought back to the cast. You know, <laughs> they're very good actors. My Absolutely. Gosh, you know. In many ways, soaps are the complete opposite of what an actor comes to be used to. And so, you know, given that, how much harder do you have to work oh. in order to overcome that and still deliver a, a performance that is up to the standards you've set for yourself? I've done film, you know, big film, and movies for television, a lot of television series. You know, this is harder work there is. There is nothing harder. We do 80 pages of dialogue a day. Now, you go on to what I just did a few Month, a month or so ago, cold case. So I had three days to do a scene. And if you're on a movie, you have a lot of time. Sure. So this, everybody on this show has to deliver immediately and professionally. There is no time to mess around <laughs> at all. <laughs> and you have to deliver. And these people do. The makeup, the costume, you name it. Everybody, the, the cameraman, everybody's on, on their fastest, best foot. And that's the way it is. And it's the hardest work. But we love it. And that's, we have a very good time doing it. So it's, it's wonderful, I must say. I'm very happy to be there. That's for sure. You know, the, the schedule you guys are working under now sounds extraordinarily grueling. I mean, we're hearing stories that Days is trying to complete as many as eight or nine episodes in five days in order to save money and, you know, get the I budget in line. I think they're doing it because, uh, you know, it, two shows a day, three sure. shows a day. The, yeah. the amazing thing is everybody there can deliver that. That means the costume, the writers, the actors, the makeup, the crew. I mean, sets go in and out and up and down, and 
everybody meets it. So they got to be pretty good at what they do. Absolutely. You know that that break that kind of breakneck pace. In some ways, is that a bit liberating for the actor? Certainly, it's better than let's take that again. And and you know, there's an extreme. I don't know with money the way it is. It's probably not happening anymore. We the way they can go on for twenty takes. And that can be difficult. There's no chance of that on our show. None. <laughs> Not a single one. I think the wall would have to fall down. <laughs> extreme, but, you know. <laughs> There's no time to uh, waste at all. <laughs> so, it's great. You know, it's kind of an achievement to be able to do it. I don't know how the writers do it. I mean, I just look at this, and their writing is good. I mean, it's getting... I'm reading scripts and going, what happens next? <laughs> I've been there all these years. <laughs> I mean, that's really pretty good. Well, yeah. you know, and it, it must be quite a relief for all of you to see how how remarkably Days has, has stabilized and even grown over the past year or so, because I don't think it's any secret that your show hit quite a rough patch there for a, for a time. Yes, that's true. And it's wonderful that we are, of course, we have the same wonderful boss that I love so much, Ken Corday. And then we have a new executive producer, Gary Collins, who is brilliant. And these writers that amaze me, I just read this, and the dialogue is so good. I mean, it's it's wonderful this has happened, I think. It's just wonderful. And I, you know, all those people at the top really have something to do with this. Sure. There's no question of it. So... For all our sakes, we're doing good. You know? When you get a new script, do you find yourself reading everybody's scenes and not just... Oh, yours? I read all of it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wouldn't know who I was talking about. I mean, I even said to myself, who is his grandchild? I have no idea. <laughs> I got to call him. Who is that? Oh, that's who that is? Okay, thank you. You know. <laughs> well, if you're not there some of the time... I mean, I could ask them to deliver scripts to me, but I don't ask that. I sure. wouldn't ask that. But anyway, that's that's that. <laughs> you know, you started out essentially at at the very beginning of televised soaps, and so you know you've 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 been around and you've seen this genre change massively over the years. There's no question yes. about it. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about some of the biggest changes you've seen over the years for soaps. Well, they went to an hour, which is unbelievable that they did that. I mean, it was bad enough as a half hour. And uh, they went to an hour. That is a huge change. I know what to say. I, I I suppose the times change, and so does the dialogue, and so do the situations. We say things now that we could never have said. Oh, and the ridiculous stuff. I was married to this guy, and they showed a bedroom scene. We had to keep one foot on the floor because of censorship. That changed. I mean, look at the sexy scenes we have on the show. So... That's a big change, and I'm sure the audience likes that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and language has changed uh, that was not permitted before to reflect what goes on. Of course, I always maintain that if I had to live the life of one of these people, I'd be in an asylum from all the tragedy. And all, they are strong, man. They go through everything. Anybody would. Anybody would be crazy. Well, it's amazing, that's all. As it is now, it seems quite believable all the time, you know? You know, I, I think the fact that it's believable is, is a credit to people like yourself and, and your, your peers and coworkers, you know, who... Well, who... I have to say, right now, I have to give the credit to the writer. 
I mean, we're all a good. The actors on this show are wonderful. They're just wonderful. But the people who write it are wonderful, and what the dialogue is so much better. You know, it's just it's a pleasure. They do a great job. So, as the world turns, leaves the air this September, and then you'll be down to just you know six daytime dramas. Huh. You've you've been around the block quite a few times now, and you know from it. Get out your crystal ball for me, and tell me where we're headed here for this genre of television. I mean, have we reached the point of of no return for afternoon soap opera, or can this still be saved long term? Well, it has to do with money, I think, because this show requires wardrobe and makeup and many actors and writers. So if they can be willing to spend the money to keep them on the air, I think they'll stay. I'm not sure it's about nobody wants to watch. I'm not sure. But they've lasted a very long time. And in my experience, as Gloria Motti was a friend of mine, she produced General Hospital. Sure, took yeah. it from, from 19 rating to one for seven years. She was wonderful. And she said it's generational. And the grandmother watches, and the next one watches, and the children watch, and on it goes. It's sort of a shared family experience. So I don't know. I, because I'd like to see actors working a lot, I sure hope they last, you know. I don't know if they're to be relegated to a dinosaur or something. I, I don't see that. But they do cost money. There's no question about it. Ken Corday is... is What's the word? Indomitable, I guess is the word. <laughs> uh, he's just one time he's walking down the hall. We used to have a softball team, and I said, "Oh, you're going to do softball?" He said, "No, now I got to play hardball." Singing <laughs> <laughs> at a meet with the execs, you know, uh-huh. very funny. So far, so good. Absolutely. You know, I, I know it was I know it was pretty brief, but I have to tell you that one of my favorite Peggy McKay performances was as James Dean's grandmother Emma in a TV movie from several years ago. Really? That was made about about his absolutely. You're kidding! It was such a small moment. I know, it, I know, it was a very brief role, but it was such a great movie. And I just want to ask you what it was like working with the great Mark Rydell, who is one of the oh. great underrated directors in the history of Hollywood. Oh, he's you see, I'm in the actor's studio, and he and Marty Landell moderate every Friday our scene, so I get to see Mark Rydell. Often and he gives of his time and he's brilliant and so is Marty Lando is a great actor and he shares with us his experience and we work and you know, try new things so he's a wonderful talented man and it's it's so hard to get a movie produced when you're an independent you know really hard but he, but he, he he's made some of the best films ever you bet he has brilliant you know so is Marty Lando. Absolutely. And working with this young unknown kid by the name of James Franco, who was about oh. to become one of the hottest young actors in the business. I mean, Isn't what? that great? Well, Mark picked it. He came. Mark came to the studio with James, brought us all in, and had James read James Dean. Mm-hmm. And the kid didn't. It looked a little like James Dean. But when he read, he was James Dean. And I know Mark had a great deal to do with helping him get there. He's a lovely person, too. He's a great kid, you know. Talk to me about acting now. You know, your career was, was off and running before you were even 20 years old. And, I, you know, I, I, I hope I'm not breaking any news here, but later this year you're going to turn 80. Does does what you no do for comment. a living... <laughs> no, none. Does what you do for a living still mean the same thing to you? I mean, do you still derive the same sense of, of satisfaction from it that you once did? 
Oh, yeah. It's, it's what I love. And it can either be your happiest day or not so happy day or whatever. I love it. And uh, I got to do what I love. I'm a fortunate person. I truly love to act. And uh, I can stand there for 18 hours and I don't care. You know, it doesn't mean anything to me. Even now? Oh, sure. I mean, we've had times we had a little two in the morning on days. And we all just take a deep breath. And I got up and did a rock song and, and we went on. I do rap songs sometimes. <laughs> I do. When they killed me off, which they did uh, two years ago or something, I, I decided I didn't want any sad scenes. You know, I was, I was leaving the show. So uh-huh. I wrote uh, a little rap that went, if my hair stands on end like Phyllis Diller, it's because I'm the victim of a serial killer. <laughs> and and they had me speak from the coffin, which is pretty wild. So I said, a tisket, a tasket, I'm still talking from my basket. <laughs> but <laughs> one should never be something. In, in days of our lives, maybe you'll come back. Let's say it rhymed, but it was funny, and I thought it was the best way to handle being fired. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, is it true that you really thought you had been fired? I mean, you, oh, you all you all thought that all it was over. Us, all of us thought that. I was so foolish. James Reynolds, I was so shocked I couldn't talk to him. Finally, by the third day of the, of the occurrence, I, I said, James, I'm so, I don't know what to say. I was so shocked. <laughs> Little did I know that I was number three. <laughs> I went, oh, my God. We're, and ten of us went, you know. That was something. Wow. That's all right. That's part of the life of actors, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm sure the young people at Days often ask you for advice on any number of matters. What, what do you What do you tell them when when they ask you things? Sometimes I will pipe up and suggest something because they have so little time, and I know maybe a way to do it that might be good. I will say, if you don't mind, I'll just tell you you could do this. But every actor has to come to their own. I don't believe in actors telling other actors what to do. It's really not a good practice. Yeah. Very disruptive. I learned that at the very beginning of my career from a great woman called Margot Jones. She's the one that gave me the rarest opportunity of life to play in her professional repertory company the first part of my career for one year. Three weeks rehearsal, three weeks playing. Shakespeare, Shaw, O'Casey. I rehearsed with her for Tennessee Williams' play that was on the road with Jack Warden. And first of all, I had a photographic memory, so I knew the line. She told me, don't do that. They'll hate you. (laughs) Carry the script because you have the lines and they don't. And the second was, I said, oh, no. I said to the actress, you cross over there. And she said, excuse me, Miss McKay. She called me to her side. She said, you never ever direct another actor. You do that again, and you are fired. I said, but I'm right. She said, no, it doesn't matter. You turn to the stage manager or to me and ask a question. Are we in the right places? And she's so right, because I have seen so much trouble come from an actor telling another actor what to do. It ain't right. Absolutely. No, I mean, if somebody asked me a question, sure, you know. They're pretty good actors on our show. Absolutely. <laughs> I think they need a lot of advice from me. So what's on the horizon for Miss Peggy McKay? What's coming down the pike? 
Mm, I don't know. I haven't done a play in a while. I did two plays here. One was with, it was a pleasure with uh, Ray Bradbury. Mr. Bradbury comes to the theater every Saturday night and talks to the audience. And he's one of the greatest human beings and sweet and brilliant. That was a good experience. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I I did do, do a cold case, which I had such a great time on. I, I played a uh, Zelda, a circus queen of the knives, and it was one. It was funny. It written part. It was a wonderful part. And I do miss that. I have to say that it was a lot of fun. And if my managers and agent can get me some uh, prime time work again, I would love to do it because it's it's different. It's far more time. It's a different setting. It's a different, you know, it's different. Sure. It's a different pair of shoes to wear. It is. And uh, they liked what I did, and I had a ball. I just loved that character. She was outrageous. The first thing she says to the detective is, geez, if I knew you were so good looking, I would have sprinted all the way from Atlantic City. <laughs> she was a really wonderful character. And they don't know I do that on the show. They see that and they go, that was you. I said, yeah, <laughs> I'm an actor. <laughs> Isn't it funny that, that even six decades in, you're still surprising people? Well, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love the two characters. I've done, that's why I worked a lot, because I was so flexible. When I was at Warner Brothers, they didn't want to pay anybody to, to come in. I was under contract. So I played all different parts. Floozies, uh, murderers, <laughs> uh, schizophrenics. And I loved it because they didn't have anybody else who could do that. So they used me. Uh, that's where a lot of characters came to me that I loved doing. It was a ball. Well, I tell you what, I have had a ball speaking with you today. I am such a big fan of yours, and this was really a, a terrific thrill having you on my show Thank today. Thank you so much. That's nice to hear. You know, before I let you go, could I get you to do a promo for my show? Oh, you bet. As long as it includes the words Peggy McKay and Brandon's Buzz, anything else you say you is totally to up to you. Pronounce the last name for me again. Uh, it's it's Brandon's Buzz is the name of the show. U-Z-Z? Uh-huh. I just did the Brandon Buzz show, and I had a ball. He's wonderful. I found it a great pleasure to, to talk with him, and I'm going to listen to his show, too. So good. Such Such a pleasure. Thank you so, so, so much. You're welcome. The fantastic Peggy McKay, everybody, on Brandon's Buzz. Brandon's Buzz in the can for April 13th, 2010. Quickly, I want to tell you how you can find the show. Uh, if you're listening, you already know, but in case you don't, two places, blogtalkradio.com slash Brandon's Buzz. That's kind of mission control for the show. From there, you can listen to the show. You can download old episodes of the show. You can leave comments. You can send emails. You can see what's coming on the show, what is on the show, what's been on the show. It really is. Home base for Brandon's Buzz. Again, that's blogtalkradio.com slash Brandon's Buzz. You can also find me at brandonsbuzz.com. My blog uh, there at the top of any page at brandonsbuzz.com is a blue button marked radio. You click on that button. Uh, that takes you to a full radio archive of Brandon's Buzz. This is episode number 60. This and all previous 59 are all available at the radio archive at brandonsbuzz.com. You can also find me on iTunes. I'm on iTunes, guys. Just type Brandon's Buzz in the iTunes Music Store search box. Scroll down to the podcast section. Click on my Puzzle Piece logo. That takes you to a page where you can see all episodes, and all 60 of them are available for download. You can download individual old episodes as podcasts. 
or you can subscribe to the show and have new uh, new episodes automatically download to your library the minute they're uploaded to the music store. So I'm on iTunes, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, I'm Brandon's Buzz on all of those places. Google the words Brandon's Buzz, and something will pop up that points you in my direction. And I appreciate you guys coming in my direction. I appreciate you guys finding me and listening to me, and hope you continue finding and listening to Brandon's Buzz. Hi, everybody out there. This is Eileen Kristen, and I have just been on Brandon's Buzz. This is a great show and a very sophisticated mind. So spread the word, Brandon's Buzz. This is Claire Massey from Tammy Show, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. Great guy, great show. Check it out. Hey, guys, this is Brett Claywell from One Life to Live, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. Hi, this is Lynn Herring on Brandon's Buzz. It's the great entertainment talk show on now. Brandon, I love you. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So if you feel that you just can't take it, and your world isn't what it seems, don't forget that life can be what you make it. Better when you live on a street of dreams. Hey, this is Mia Peoples, and you're with Brandon Buzz, the place to be. Hi, everybody. This is Nicholas Walker. Merci à vous tous. Écoutez Brandon Buzz sur Blog Talk Radio. Bonsoir et à très bientôt. <laughs>